All right. Welcome to another episode of Product Thinking. I'm Kyle Evans. Hope everybody is enjoying the European Championships. It is great if you haven't been watching. I know I have been enjoying it. Uh, earlier today, England beat Germany, and there have been some really, really great upsets uh, like Switzerland and France and the Czech Republic and the Netherlands. So if you're into soccer or football for our international listeners, uh, you're probably enjoying them as much as I am, but absolutely, absolutely awesome. So if not, uh, check that out, you know, watch some of the world's best soccer or world's best football happening right now in the Euros. So anyway, uh, this episode, this week and this month, we're talking about another book review. So The Myths of Innovation by Scott Birkin. It is a book obviously about innovation. It's a nice quick read with lots of examples of the myths that we may think of as common knowledge uh, when it comes to how innovation works. Uh, While a few of the examples are a little bit dated uh, because the book uh, is a little bit older, the wisdom is really unchanged. Uh, So that's why I I picked it for this month. thought it was a great read. Uh, So let's go ahead and dive in to some of the myths, some of the examples, and some of the application. So first off, the myths. The book covers 10 key myths about innovation. There are probably more uh, that you could add to the list, but that's a good round number. So here they are. First, innovation comes through epiphany. Uh, Number two, the myth that we understand the history of innovation. Number three, the myth that there is a method for innovation. Number four, the myth that people love new ideas. I think that's great. And number five, the myth of the lone inventor. Number six, the myth that good ideas are hard to find. Uh, number seven, the myth that your boss knows more about innovation than you. Uh, another great one. Uh, number eight, the myth that the best idea wins. Uh, such a such a great one. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, number nine, the myth of focusing on solutions. And number 10, the myth that innovation is always good. So the book has a lot of examples for each of these chapters and each of these myths, but I'll focus on a few of my favorites. Uh, so first off, people don't love new ideas. So I think that was uh, myth number four, that people love new ideas. The reality is that people don't love new ideas. People love their new ideas, but otherwise don't really like change because change is hard. Most people are defenders of the status quo because that is where they are comfortable or where they have a vested interest. We like new ideas only after they've been tested and vetted by others and don't threaten our way of doing things. Or we can actually see the proof that they will improve it without taking away some of the things that you know we maybe have entrenched. So you know this if you've ever tried to change the way a team or an organization works. It is 
impossible. Even if it's clear that the new idea or the new way of working is better, which leads to the next item, the best ideas don't win. So that was myth number eight, the myth that the best ideas win. Uh, We know that the best ideas don't win. You don't have to look very far to see that the best ideas don't win. The keyboard that we all type on that is literally sitting in front of me is proof of that for one. It is far from the optimal layout, yet it is the dominant one. It's not the best idea. It's not the best way to lay out a keyboard. Yet here we are with the QWERTY keyboard in literally everything that we use. Another example of this from the book I thought was great. Uh, In 1789, uh, Thomas Jefferson proposed the U.S. adopt a decimalized measurement system instead of the English system, which it was using at the time, and which is a mess. For those of us in the United States, uh, we know and understand this all too well. Uh, But the U.S. didn't move that direction, and the rest of the world is now using the metric system. While we in the U.S. are still using a system that makes very little sense. Why we're using it, I, I don't know. This, this question actually came up not that long ago and comes up very frequently. Uh, whereas the metric system, just it makes a lot more sense. The best ideas don't often win. In fact, you have, often have to force good ideas down the throats of anyone who will listen. Uh, we often get this idea that you have to worry about people stealing really good ideas and running with them. And so you have to really protect those good ideas. When in fact, it's the opposite that's true. If you have a really good idea, you have to force people to listen to it and force people to understand it. Because it's not the good ideas that are necessarily going to win and often that they don't. So that was the second thing that really struck me. The third one here uh, is from myth number seven, that your boss knows more about innovation than you do. I think we can probably all relate to this in some degree or another, that people in charge don't know more about innovation than everybody else, and sometimes often know less about it. Uh, Management, by its nature, was born to reduce risk and optimize performance, not to foster innovation. That's the history of management. So management isn't necessarily in the best position to determine what is innovative and creative. In fact, managers often kill innovation because it doesn't fit those criteria of reducing risk and optimizing performance. We often think that leaders and bosses have some sort of ability to identify the most innovative or creative ideas and possibilities, but they don't. And often they are forced to be more conservative in order to reduce risk for the company or the organization or the team. So don't get disheartened when your ideas aren't received like you expect from managers or leaders. They don't have some sort of special gift, in most cases, to know what the next great innovation will be. Sure, they may control the resources, So you may need to convince them that it's a worthy cause 
or the right idea or the right innovation, but don't lose faith just because they don't see the vision initially. It's not necessarily because they have a superior sense. They don't. So those are some of the myths and some of the ideas that I found uh, the most interesting or intriguing. Uh, Now let's get to the application to product people specifically. The best innovation comes from focusing relentlessly on the right problem. We're aware of that as product people, and this book puts a special emphasis on that. Uh, A quote from Albert Einstein, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about solutions. In chapter nine, the point becomes particularly salient. Many of the greatest minds of their time, including Newton in his time, focused on the wrong problems, like trying to discover the Philosopher's Stone. Now, Newton focused on many of the right problems and solved a lot of really, really interesting problems, but also uh, got sidetracked on some of the wrong problems. That's why the quote from Einstein is so critical. Focusing on the problem is so important. We have to have the right problem to solve. Alchemy would be great. Discovering the Philosopher's Stone would be amazing. But is it the right problem to solve for us? So an example from the book, Palm was able to become the dominant PDA by relentlessly focusing on what users wanted. Small, handheld devices that did a few things very, very well. Uh, Hopefully some of you remember the Palm Pilot from way back in the day. Uh, Super interesting device. Uh, One of the predecessors to many of the phones that we use now. Uh, Apple was able to return to dominance when Steve Jobs returned by focusing its product portfolio from an array of products down to just a a few. Uh, Famously from the book, uh, Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. This, I'm going to quote here for a second. says, after a few weeks, uh, Jobs finally had enough. Stop, he shouted, at one big product strategy session. This is crazy. He grabbed a magic marker, padded to a whiteboard, and drew a horizontal and vertical line to make a four-square chart. Here's what we need, he continued. Atop the two columns, he wrote consumer and pro. He labeled the two rows desktop and portable. Their job, he said, was to make four great products, one for each quadrant. That's it. Focusing relentlessly on a few good things is one of the keys to success. They did this by understanding the key problems they were solving. The CEO of Palm went out and talked with users to understand what they really wanted. It wasn't about every feature that could be packed into a device. It was about solving key problems. That's something that we understand as product people, but often don't put into practice in one way or another, either by not talking to our users enough or by giving into endless feature requests from sales or marketing or executives or even our users themselves. This isn't easy. It's hard to say no. It's hard to filter down, but it's so important to create the right products and the right experiences. So in conclusion, innovation is messy. Because of that, there are many myths that have been built around innovation and innovators. In the book, 
the myths of innovation, Scott Birkin does a great job of addressing many of those myths. Uh, it's a great read for product people, since we're often at the forefront of innovation, creating the next generation of products and experiences for users, breaking ground on technology that hasn't been tried. We know the myths better than most and fall victim to many of them. So it's great to look at examples in this book and remember that the process is messy and there's no single right way to innovate. Uh, so check out that book, uh, link in the show notes, both to the book and to this week's newsletter. So you can go check out both of those. Uh, a couple other links as well. So just published an article on Medium, Divergent and Convergent Thinking, which I think relates really well to uh, this week's uh, podcast as well as newsletter. Uh, divergent and convergent thinking are keys to creative problem solving, but often we constrain ourselves prematurely by what we've done before or what has worked in the past. We don't explore any new or innovative solutions, or if we do, we immediately apply constraints before they even have a chance to see the light of day. Uh, once you start thinking in this way, you'll notice it everywhere that you start to get ideas but then you start to apply constraints immediately. I was noticing it in Slack conversations just today that you know we wanted to start generating some ideas about some new ways of doing things. But even before those ideas could start to, to come up, we were already starting to apply constraints around it. So I had to try and walk us back a little bit to allow the ideas to flow before we started applying constraints to it. So start thinking that way. And you'll really start to have the chance to let ideas come out, riff on those ideas before you start start to filter them. Uh, really important thing, divergent and convergent thinking. Uh, the uh, Another article, a very brief history of every Google messaging app. Uh, we've talked about this numerous times uh, on this podcast, on our other podcast, Product by Design, but Google's product strategy can be a mess, especially their messaging app strategy. So this article does an interesting job looking at its history. As an early adopter of many of these products, including including Google Wave, which has a special place in my heart because I thought it was just a great one before its time. Um, let's all take a look back at the apps killed by Google and their incoherent strategy, especially when it comes to messaging apps. So check out that article on The Verge uh, link in this week's newsletter. So again, check out uh, this week's newsletter, productthinking.cc. Uh, subscribe to the free weekly newsletter, or as always, um, you can subscribe to the paid version. Uh, follow us anywhere where you're listening to podcasts. And uh, you can leave a tip as you as well, if you'd like, link in the show notes and follow me on social media at Kyle Larry Evans. And I will look forward to seeing you next time. 